0: This is Leewood Online, a ministry of Leewood Baptist Church, located in the Kansas City area. For more information about us, visit us online at www.leewoodbaptist.com. Good,
1: Good morning. My name Good morning. is Good morning. My name is Cole and I'm going to do the scripture reading for today, which is from Matthew 7:13 through 27. Which can be found on page 812 of the Pew Bible in front of you. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes? because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. All
0: right. Let me just introduce real quick where we're going, and then we'll pray together. So if you're brand new with us, we've been walking through this sermon It's Jesus's longest teaching that we have recorded in the New Testament, and it's his vision and explanation and invitation into the kingdom of God. And what you see now at the close of this sermon is that he is now, like every good preacher, calling for application, calling for decision, calling for you to take what he's been saying to you and now call you to make a choice. And I realize in the room we've got people in lots of different spaces. Some of you wouldn't call yourselves followers of Jesus and you're not confused about that. You just kind of know where you are. And you're, maybe you're seeking, maybe you call just a skeptic, but you're, you're not identifying as somebody who trusts Jesus. And there's a lot of you who do trust Jesus. And when you hear this, you you're, kind of smile inside of the choice that you have made to the narrow road and to the solid foundation and to, to roots that were healthy that would bear good fruit and to actually know Jesus. That, that's been your hope for a long time. And then there's probably some people kind of in the middle who maybe you think you're right with Jesus, but you may not be. Or those who are actually right with Jesus, but you're plagued with doubt and with fear. And so the passage actually hits all four of those groups in really particular ways. What I want to do as we just start is, would you just ask God to speak to you specifically? We normally take time in our service just to have an extended time of prayer. Because of the baptisms, we're going to just truncate that a little bit. But I didn't want to miss a chance for you just in your own heart to ask God to speak to you personally. But I would love for you to ask him to speak to you about where you are with Jesus What's the question that you're asking? What's the doubt you're facing? What's the place where you feel stuck or, or where you are thankful and excited? I'm not sure exactly where you are, but God knows where you are. And he wants to answer the prayer you'll pray for him to speak to you and to help you and to reveal himself to you. So, so would you just bow your head with me for a moment? Let me just give you a second. And we'll just take like 30, 45 seconds. Would you just ask God to speak to you based on where you are with Jesus and these choices that he's putting in front of us? What he needed to say, ask him to speak. And then I'll close us. Father, thanks for hearing our prayers. And now would you, by your Holy Spirit, speak to us the good news of what Christ has come to proclaim. The invitation in this text is to come to you. And so I pray that people would be drawn to you in ways that are supernatural and beautiful, that break uh, jams where they've just felt stuck for a really long time. Would you call people to yourself in healing ways, in ways that save them, in ways that clarify where they're at? Would you do good to all of us in the room? Jesus, thank you for being the kind of God who shoots us straight and tells us what's true and calls to action. You actually honor us enough to call us to respond. So would you help us to do the very thing that we need to do by your spirit? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, well, like I said, we've been in this sermon quite a while, actually. Now we come to the close, and Jesus, like a great preacher, is going to ask for a decision, and he's going to use four metaphors, or four pairs of two. We're going to slow down and kind of take those each week. And so you thought we were at the end of it? Like, I do know. We're going to stretch it out a little bit. There's four conclusions. Because I think the way he does this is instructive to us to slow us down, to pump the brakes, and say, hey, where are you really at? Because here's the deal, up to this point, you've been able to appreciate Jesus' teaching. Even if you're not a follower of Jesus, there's so much in the Sermon on the Mount that just resonates with who we are and what we think the way the world should be. And if you stop for a moment, you go like, well, of course it does. It's because God himself is the one who's saying this. The one who designed and created and made everything is the one telling you what it's like to be in his kingdom. So the reason why it resonates so much is not because our world is so close to Christianity. It's because made in the image of God, your soul's designed to actually say yes when God speaks to you. And we numb that and we quiet that and we discard that so often we've kind of made ourselves callous to his voice. But whatever's been resonating in your soul is because you're actually made in his image. The king is speaking to you about what it means to be in his kingdom and he's inviting you to respond. And in those spaces, you've heard amazing wisdom. You've heard things like, like a, a push away from hypocrisy. But you don't have to be a Christian to appreciate that, to welcome that, to be thankful for that. You've heard him teach about the idea that it's not just outward obedience, but, but a heart that's been transformed. It's actually possible to do good things on the outside, but have your heart Really, really, really far away from God, and again, that resonates with you, you don't have to be a follower of Jesus to know that there's ways we can confess something outwardly, but that actually not match what's inside of our hearts. Even like with the Beatitudes, this invitation into the kingdom, it's a little bit shocking, but it's also refreshing when he says things like, "The kingdom is open to those who mourn, and those who are weak and those who are in trouble and those who are overwhelmed and those who are persecuted and those, those who know they have needs that's who gets to come into the kingdom and so you thought it was the good people and the wise people and the productive people and the ones who were accomplishing a lot and could contribute a lot so it actually kind of counters some of the things you thought but it still is refreshing to your soul to hear oh god welcomes those who know they have need like that's what qualifies you to come into the kingdom i've seen him talk about anxiety and you don't have to be a Christian to wrestle with anxiety or wonder what to do with anxiety. Jesus' words about hey, knowing there's a God who sees you, who, who runs the entire universe and yet is mindful of you, like that is really, really comforting, even if you don't know Jesus yet. So up to this point, you really have been able to appreciate his teachings, to, to hear what he's saying and make that resonate. There's even some things that are quoted widely in different cultures, like right? The golden rule is in this. And we actually didn't spend a lot of time here, but every kind of religion or culture has a saying like, whatever you don't want people to do to you, don't don't do that to them. But scholars make the point here that Jesus actually flips at it. Instead of a restrictive thing of what you shouldn't do, he says, hey, whatever you wish someone would do, that's what you should be doing, right? So it's not this restrictive inward focus, get by with minimums. It's this big sky kingdom saying, hey, whatever it is that you wish would happen? Would you do that? And that comes on the heels of being told that the Father is a good Father, and He answers your prayers, and He doesn't answer them in ways that trick you, and so when you ask for bread, He doesn't give you stones, or when you ask for fish, He doesn't give you snakes. We were in this passage last week, and even though it's really heavy or really scary, Jesus is saying, hey, you can trust the heart of the Father. He's not messing with you or jacking with you or setting up a trap for you. He actually wants to give you good gifts. And so we get to this spot in the sermon, we've heard all of this, and now we're at a place where we're called to decision. And here's the deal, Jesus loves you too much to let you just appreciate him. It's not enough to just appreciate Jesus as a good teacher or as a, a good example, as a historical figure that we're thankful for, that, that shaped things in positive ways. That's simply not enough. So Jesus now calls us into a decision and he says there's really only two decisions here, which really grates against our modern sensibilities. We're faced with lots of options in every area of life. And so to hear you only have two choices is fairly restrictive. And you actually may push against that a little bit and think this is just like archaic or it's too fundamental or it's ancient. Actually, in a modern world, we know there's just so much variety and so many amazing Options, But Jesus' word to these people is his word to us saying, friends, there's just two ways. There is this way through faith to trust Jesus as your king and Messiah. And there is a rejection of him. Those are your only two choices. So what I want to do is walk through the passage and kind of talk about the counterintuitive nature of this. And then look at the two contrasts that he makes. And then can find, kind of focus on the call that he has to us towards this decision so, so the counterintuitive nature let me just read this real quick in verse 13 and 14 we're just going to focus on these two roads these two gates these two ways he says this enter by the narrow gate for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction and those who enter by it are many for the gate is narrow and the way is hard at leads to life and those who find it are few we we'll just stop for a second and talk about the counterintuitive nature of the kingdom of God. Not only is it the weak that come in and the needy who are accepted and those who know they can't save themselves, that's actually what qualifies you. That's pretty counterintuitive to everything else you hear. What you hear now in this space is an invitation to something difficult, something narrow, something hard. Even in our culture, we would say something exclusive, which we just stopped for a moment and go, holy smokes, every day, all day long, I hear a battle cry to, to be inclusive to so welcome people that are different than me, to appreciate different backgrounds and cultures and ideas, and, and a well-rounded person actually sees the broadness and appreciates the differences in all the different cultures and religions and backgrounds and preferences, you are aggressively discipled into an inclusive understanding of how you think about even truth, not just being kind to people, which, of course, kindness is a, a massive, even Christian ethic, but what Jesus says is there's an exclusive claim to salvation, And you can't actually blend it with lots of other things. And to try to do that is to put yourself on the broad road. It's counterintuitive. Everything else about us even likes the idea of lots of options that we could pick and choose, and maybe even in our mind we have this collage. I'll borrow kind of wisdom from this area and ethics from this area and a future from this area. And when I learn from this person and read this kind of book, I'm going to bring those in and incorporate those into my life. I'd like a, a patchwork actually that's broad and wide and diverse and thoughtful. And then here comes Jesus. At the end of this amazing sermon, again, up to this point, you've been appreciating him and going, man, that makes sense. I resonate with that. I like that. I appreciate that. And now he scratches the record and forces you to think about an exclusive claim to truth and the way that you can only come into the kingdom through him. And it was as counterintuitive to them as it is to us. The idea of a pantheon of gods and lots of different ways to make yourself right with the gods was so common in the ancient world. It really matches kind of our modern sensibilities of how we think about truth and value and goodness. And it's kind of like a more is the merrier, like don't leave anything out, a little bit of everything will kind of at least diversify your faith portfolio so you don't get shipwrecked in any one place. So if we can just believe some about everything, we're kind of covered. And then here comes Jesus saying, oh, no, 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 there's only one way. And actually, in the ancient world, Christians were often called atheists because they rejected the belief in all the other gods. So, here in the Roman world is this pantheon of gods. You could choose any deity you wanted, and lots of combinations of deities. There were so many options. And here these crazy Christians come, and they say there's just one true God. There's only one lawgiver. There's only one way to be right with God. And they were persecuted, they were abused. They were killed. They were marginalized. And what's crazy about it is it's the claim to freedom. Jesus' claim is a claim to life, and yet you have to come to it through death. That's also counterintuitive. So he offers you this big sky life and flourishing in the kingdom of God, but he says to get it you have to die, which is another kind of way. I don't even know what to do with this. I don't even know how to make sense of a God- like this, who in some ways is so winsome and so loving and sacrifices with the poor, he's with the broken, he's with the prostitutes, he's with the drunkards, he's in those spaces, and we're like, that's the way I want to be. And then he flips it and has this exclusive claim. I want to argue Jesus is not being fickle. He's not being wishy-washy and changing. This is what it means to follow the king. It is a way through death, but it leads to life, and it is exclusive and so maybe we could just stop for a second and just challenge our own hearts and thinking to go, where have we added Jesus to things we already believed? Where we added Jesus into systems and structures and ideas and longings that we already had and we saw Jesus as just the better way to get that. I listened to a podcast this last week and it was uh, describing this movement in a growing class or a group of people in our society called the nuns who just describe themselves as as non-religious, right? So you have these different kinds of religions, and there's these nuns. I have no religious affiliation. And the guy made the comment that struck me. He said, it used to be that you would pick politics and ideas and ethics based on your beliefs, and now you pick beliefs based on your politics and based on your ethics, what he's saying is what we're tempted to do is find something that already affirms what we already believe, what we're already doing, where we're already at, and it's just going to improve us just a little bit more. And it actually is so common in our culture, you hear it all the time, it's kind of confusing when Jesus rolls out these four distinctives and says, hey, you have a choice to make because you're told over and over again, no need to choose. When it's helpful to have Jesus. Have Jesus. And when something else makes more sense, when materialism makes more sense, or sensuality, or escaping, or anger, when those things make more sense, then go down that road as well. And hey, Jesus, you've heard his teachings. He's kind and loving. He'll understand. You can always come back. These things we just hear all the time. And Jesus now and says, no, 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 I'm a king, not a mascot. I'm not here to cheer you on to what you're already doing. I came as the king to deal with rebellious humanity. To call people to myself. And the way he does it is so beautiful because he sacrifices his life. He makes it possible for you to have a kind of spiritual death and avoid eternal death and punishment because he took your death upon himself. So before we see him as this ruthless king who only wants his own glory, what we see is his glory is actually fulfilled in loving and sacrificing for us. And so we have almost like a tender, apt approach. Faith. We're kind of swiping left and swiping right to whatever fits us, and if you like that, we'll swipe it one way. If you don't like it, we'll swipe it another way. And Jesus pushes against all of that, again, counterintuitively, to say, hey, there is just one way. I spend time on that because the gravitational pull of this idea of just adding Jesus is so strong. Even while I'm talking, you're like, yeah, that totally makes sense. On Sundays, I'll do that. And then, of course, on Monday, that doesn't apply to business. That doesn't apply to my date life. That doesn't apply to my marriage, of course. I mean, of course you don't mean that. You just mean inside this building when we have these certain clothes on, when we're doing certain rituals, that's when I'll follow King Jesus. But the rest of the time, of course, you mean, no, no, Jesus means all the time there is just two choices. And to find yourself on the narrow road is to exclude yourself from the broad road. Let me read one scholar. This is John Stott. He says, What is immediately striking about these verses is the absolute nature of the choice before us. We would all prefer to be given many more choices than just one, or better still, to fuse them all into a conglomerate religion, thus eliminating the need for any one choice. But Jesus cuts across our easygoing syncretism. He will not allow us the comfortable solutions we propose. Instead, he insists that ultimately there is only one choice because there are only two possibilities to choose from. So, so what are these two choices? He's going to walk through these passages, and you heard them. There's a choice of two roads, and there's a choice of two kinds of trees or two kinds of fruit, and there's a choice of two kinds of confession, one that's rooted in what I believe and what I do, and one that's rooted in relationship, and there's two kinds of foundations. Jesus is pushing on us over and over again this choice of two. So there's lots of kinds of people in the room, but there's just two choices. And in these couple of verses, he puts four contrasts in front of us. All right, so there's a counterintuitive nature. Now these four contrasts. Look with me again in verse 13. He says this, enter by the narrow gate. There's this gate that's narrow, and that's contrasted to this broad gate. There's one that's thin, and there's one that is wide. Let's just stop for a second. I think he's using an illustration. We want to press. Too far. And some scholars even think like the gate is the same as the way. But if you can think about gates for just a moment, what he's saying is this is how you enter in. The gate has a threshold, it's how you come into the kingdom. And he's saying that gate is actually narrow. And can I just put this thought in your mind? It is as narrow as the person of Jesus. The gate is just as wide as the cross of Jesus. The only way to get in on this narrow way is to come through Jesus. Now now the contrast of the broad way has this really wide gate. You can walk through it holding hands with friends, you can bring your whole posse and crew through, you can bring all your tradition, all your favorites, you can have a huge backpack and carry lots of things into it. But the narrow gate is only wide enough for you to come through Jesus. Dying to everything else, taking everything else off, no other backpack Will fit through this narrow gate. It's only faith in Christ. And the contrast is what our world would say to us is bring everything you have, bring all your strengths, all your value, all the stuff that you want to do, bring all your dreams, all your hopes, bring all of that into your faith journey. Jesus said, no, no, no. You actually have to die, take everything else off to be able to come in. So there's this narrow gate. And then the second contrast is this way, this road. There's a a wide road and there is a narrow road. He says, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and easy that leads to destruction. And those who entered it are many. And the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. So you have a narrow gate and a wide gate. And those gates lead to two different kinds of roads. One, One is wide and he describes it as easy it's probably like a downhill grade. You probably don't even sweat walking on it. It's probably paved. There's probably lots of rest stops and stations there. There's probably lots of people to cheer you on and encourage you. There's this wide, he says, easy way. And the contrast is to this narrow way that he says is difficult. There's this hard way, this way that actually is not just narrow, but it's challenging. It's it's difficult. It's uphill. It's a climb. It's actually is something that you feel dependent on your entire life. And so in this contrast, we want to think about like ways of living, about the way life actually functions. And there's something about us that is just drawn to this broad, wide, inclusive life. There's lots of people on that road. It's easy to get onto. You can go at your own pace. You can do whatever you want. In other words, you can even follow Jesus as well as everything else that you want to follow on that broad road. So a syncretist move that actually welcomes faith in Jesus into all the other things you already want is on that broad road. So you didn't have to say no to Jesus. You could just welcome him in as one of many options on this broad road. It is so inclusive and so appealing and so easy. Again, this is John Stott. He says this, that that word easy means broad or spacious or roomy. And there's plenty of room for diversity of opinions and laxity of morals. It's the road of tolerance and permissiveness. It has no curves and no boundaries of either thought or conduct. And travelers on this road follow their own inclinations. That is the desires of the human heart and all of its fallenness. Superficiality, self-love, hypocrisy, mechanical religion. There's a, a religious version of being on this road believing that you could make yourself right with God through all of your good behaviors and therefore vacillate between pride when you're doing well and shame when you're not doing. But you can be a very religious person following all the rules on this broad road. There's a mechanical religion. There's false ambition. There's censoriousness. These things do not have to be learnt or cultivated. Effort is needed actually to resist them, but no effort is required to practice them. That is why the broad road is easy. In contrast, the narrow road is a road of self-denial. It's a road of sacrifice. It's a road of death. It's a road of emptying yourself. It's a road of actually letting go of all the attempts that you have to make yourself right with God apart from Jesus. It's a way that actually is narrow, and it doesn't mean like, you can't find it, like God's trying to trick you. He's saying it only comes this one way. It's an exclusive road. Remember, the Beatitudes say anybody can get on this road if they just acknowledge their need and empty themselves. The problem is we have such a hard time actually doing that. But what Jesus is doing is saying, hey, you can't just appreciate my teaching. I came as a king, not as a mascot. On the broad road, there's all kinds of mascots. Every world religion has a mascot, and you're happy to party with all of them, to laugh at all of them, enjoy all of them. They have great halftime shows they put on. The broad road is really, really appealing. And yet here comes Jesus saying, hey, there's actually life on this narrow way. Because that's what the other contrast is. It's not just the gates and the ways. It's the destination. He says that this gate that is wide and the way is easy, you see this in verse 13, it leads to destruction. So here's the counterintuitive thing, the thing that's wide and easy that everybody is on, the thing that you naturally want to do, the thing that you have the gravitational pull towards, that road, even though it's downhill, leads towards destruction. And the contrast is to this narrow way coming in through this narrow gate that leads to, did you catch it? That leads to life. So this counterintuitive nature, again, is that that what is actually requiring death of you is the thing that brings about life. And Jesus will say this in lots of ways and lots of different examples when it comes to his teaching and to his life as he calls us to actually die to ourselves, to actually take off our, our own like, self-righteousness and to move towards him in ways where we get to actually trust what he has done for us, not what we could do on our own. And that is the way that there is actually life for us. So Matthew 16, hey, how excited did you get that? I just summed to like nine pages of notes. You're like, He's moving fast. Um, sorry, just a, just a little moment. Just take a deep breath. It's okay. It's all right. Hey, this is Matthew chapter 16. Jesus says to his disciples in verse 24 If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. It's not a great sales pitch. Like, if you're multi-level marketing, if you're trying to get somebody to buy a condo, if you want to start a new world religion, don't you say, hey, you come in and you get whatever you want. We'll accommodate to you. And he says, if anyone wants to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. There's this narrow gate. There's this narrow way. For whoever would save his life will actually lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and he forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? The son of man is going to come with the angels in glory for his father. And he will repay each person according to what he has done. And truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the son of man coming in the kingdom. He says there's a way of coming in towards this kingdom of God that actually requires your death. But it leads to life. And then over and over and over again, we see throughout the scriptures, Moses does the same thing in Deuteronomy 30 as he's kind of retelling the law to the Israelites. He says, hey, today I set before you both life and death. Please choose life. But it comes through following after the one true God. Joshua will say as he comes into the promised land, hey, I'm putting before you a choice. Choose you this day who you will serve. You only have two choices. Psalm 1 puts a choice in front of us of these two Trees, one that lives and breathes and has life and fruit, and one that is dead and withering. But the choice between those trees is self reliance or trust in God. Jesus puts this in front of us here in this moment to say, Hey, if you want to come into the kingdom, it's counterintuitive. The way is really, really hard, but it is the only way to life. Again, just stop for a second and think about our culture and what you hear all the time. Who is telling you to live for eternity? Who is saying to you, hey, it's only 80 years? Man, and then you get to be with God for forever. I know it's sacrifice. I know you can't have what you want. I know you have this longing inside your body. I know what you think you deserve or need to be happy. God's not giving you, but man, it's just 80 years. You've got the rest of eternity to be in this space with God, have all of your needs met, to see him perfectly in ways that are described as there being no tears and everything beautiful and everything perfect. You get to have that for forever. That's the eternal life he offers because I draw to this simple, easy road that's wide and easy to get on and actually is what your heart naturally wants to do apart from God anyway. Here's what's crazy. You were born on that broad road. Like in our sinfulness, the scriptures would describe us as born actually in rebellion to God. We didn't get born neutral. We were born aimed at this broad road, and God is the one that has to do something to bend our hearts back towards him. So even the inclination of your heart is towards this broadness, and yet Jesus says the destination will actually end in a space where you have death. It's counterintuitive to give up your life to gain life, but that is what it's like in the kingdom of God. And what he means by that is it's can't you can't have self-trust. You can't bank on your behavior. You can't bank on your righteousness. You can't And remember, he's been teaching this entire time things like, hey, it's not just enough not to murder. I'm saying if you see somebody and you judge them as somebody who's a fool, that inclination of your heart actually is outside the kingdom boundary. It's not just enough not to commit adultery. I'm talking about actually what's going on inside your heart. And if you consume people with your eyes, then you're outside the ethics of the kingdom. He's been teaching these things all along in ways that actually you have to die to your own self-righteousness to actually be rescued and safe. So there's this narrow, Jesus-shaped gate. There's this way that is really narrow and hard. And there's this destination, though, again, counterintuitively, that begins to lead to life. And then there's the crowd on the roads, right? So we have gates and ways and destinations. And then he talks about those who are on these roads. He talks about two kinds of people. Let me just read the whole thing again. Verse 13, enter by the narrow gate. If the gate is wide and is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. If the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those, those people who find it are few. Now, I think the scriptures would give us a hopeful picture of the future where there's a great multitude gathered on the throne of God. Revelation says that no one could actually number. So I don't think he means necessarily the number of people. He means it's the kind of choice that people struggle with. It's this exclusive choice. It's not what's broad and wide and makes sense to everybody else. This is something that God has to do inside of you that you actually move towards him. And it's few people that are willing to step off this broad, easy road and face death in this life spiritually so they can have the eternal life with God. But he asks you now to make a choice. So he's been telling this illustration, there's two kinds of people. And the implication is for you to stop and ask, which road am I on? Which threshold have I crossed? Which which destination am I heading to? And to that space, what we see is this call in verse 13 to come and enter by the narrow gate. It's not just an indictment. He's not just labeling you and saying, this is where you are and that's the way it's going to be. He's inviting you. Do you see that? He says, Come and enter by this narrow gate. This gate that may be hard to find, this gate that requires your death to get into, this gate that is exclusive because you have to trust Jesus. I'm inviting you to come because that road leads to life. It's actually the only road that leads to life. And it's confusing and it's counterintuitive. And what we see actually in passages like the Psalms maybe Psalm 73 or Psalm 76. Where he says, I'm watching the people that are on the broad road, and, and he, says, he says, they're fat, which, which just means in that way they have everything they need. I mean, you're like, I don't want to do that. I want to be thin. But he's saying, in that culture, meant to be a little bit overweight means you had everything you want. They're sleek and fat. He said, and here I am, I'm gaunt and starving. And these people have no cares in the world, and here I am, I'm burdened and overwhelmed. And he's wrestling back and forth with what he sees on the broad road, and he's basically asking God, why did you trick me and deceive me? Why did you put me on this hard path? I look at everybody else around me and their life just seems to make sense. It seems easy. They cope with whatever they want. They get whatever they would like. They, They have everything they want. And here I am faithfully following you and I feel hungry and overwhelmed. I feel exhausted and tired. And he ends that song by saying, and then I considered their destination. I considered eternity. I considered what was happening on that road where it was actually leading, and it reoriented how I understood what was valuable, what was, what was good. And here's what's interesting, and I don't know kind of where you are, how long you've kind of walked with Jesus or been in the world, or you know, there's kinds of people in the room that don't know Jesus at all, and you know that. There's people that, that think they know Jesus, but you have more of a religious background, you don't have a faith background, you have traditions. There's people who actually do know Jesus, but the way you wrestle with sin, you feel so overwhelmed, you wonder if you actually do. And there are folks who who do know Jesus. Right. There's all kinds of people in that road. But but here's the deal. On that broad road, there's a certain kind of code of ethics. And at the center of that code of ethics is that we don't tell anybody that they're wrong. We don't actually make ourselves uncomfortable to help somebody else in ways that would steer them back towards what is right. Of course, we wouldn't do that because that would be not just like a buzzkill to the party, but it would like have rejection to happen in that space. But there's also uh, embedded dishonesty on that broad road that we don't really talk about how we're really doing. We just keep consuming. We just keep numbing. We just keep earning. We just keep purchasing. We just keep looking at pornography. We just keep getting angry. We keep doing whatever we need to do to soothe. We keep pretending. There's days that are really dark, but we don't really talk about that because that would kind of ruin the reputation of the broad road. And so sometimes actually we look over at the broad road and go, man, they have it so easy. But there's an inherent dishonesty about what's actually happening on the inside because to live a life without hope for something past just this world is actually devastating because this world can't give you everything you need to be satisfied and and you're made for eternity so the continual ache and longing that you keep filling with stuff or achievement or accomplishment or people is actually never going to be satisfied because it's made for something more but you can't really talk about that on the broad road but it's not fun on the broad road to say that you have these losses and longings. And if you do, you just got to deal with it yourself or find some way to actually pivot and change your strategy. Maybe what you were doing is bankrupt, so you're going to move and do something different. You were angry, now you're going to serve everybody. You were, you were focused on money, now you're going to empty yourself of stuff. So you can switch your salvation strategies on the broad road. But they all end bankrupt because there is just one way to life, Jesus says. So, so he's going to have us here for a couple of weeks and I want to just say, I think this will be an important couple of weeks for us as a community. To actually take some time and slow down to wrestle with our doubts. To be clear about what it is to follow Jesus. To hear him say, this is what it means to actually put all of your hope and trust in me. And he's just using now this first little illustration. But I wonder where you find yourself even this morning. I wonder as you hear these two roads, what you feel compelled to As you think about these two thresholds, these two gates, like which one of those makes sense? Which one do you think you've crossed? Because even as we struggle with doubt, I don't think it's confusing whether or not you've trusted Jesus. Have you crossed that threshold? Now, now trying to live back and forth on both roads can be actually really maddening and really confusing. but, But you know what you're putting your hope in. And if you're putting your hope in Jesus plus some other stuff, Jesus loves you enough to say, hey, you're on that broad road. And he tells you that because there are exit ramps on that broad road to the narrow road that would actually lead towards life. But again, you have to empty yourself of everything. It's only as wide as Jesus is to come into that gate so you can actually be on this road. But he calls us to a decision. And I would love for us as a community to take his um, end of his sermon series. He's saying, it's not enough just to appreciate me. There's a decision that you have to make. And so we'll just sit here for a bit and offer you, like, a a chance to examine where you are. And I don't, for a moment, want to stir doubt. I think, actually, the Scriptures are so clear. Like, you can actually know that you have eternal life. He wants you to know that. He wants you to know which road you're on. Remember, he's a good father. He's not tricking anybody. Now, Now, you might be tricking yourself and fooling yourself, But as you pray and ask for him to reveal kind of where you are, he wants to answer that prayer. And the good news of this passage is that what is required for you to get on this narrow road, he actually accomplished on your behalf. And so we take communion at the end of our services to remind us that it is is what Christ has done on the cross with his broken body and shed blood that gives us access. The the entry point into this gate, the gate's not locked. Christ died on the cross and unlocked the gate through his broken body and shed blood so anyone who will trust him can come in. And Christians celebrate communion with this kind of deep breath and even tasting the sweetness of these elements to go, he actually has satisfied my soul. And it's been a long, hard week and I've wrestled with all kinds of doubt. I've been plagued with indecision and all kinds of struggles. And here I am in this moment being reminded that he is the one who put me on this path. And he put me on this path not because I was good, not because I was amazing, on his path because of his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And that invitation is to anybody else in the room. We're going to sit here for a couple of weeks, but man, you don't have to wait. If you hear Jesus calling you, and as I'm describing the broad path, you're like, man, that is my life. And you hear Jesus offering you and beckoning you to come over to this narrow way. And it's really clear, it's not this uh, sales pitch, this bait and switch. He's saying, hey, this is a way that has to come through death, but it ends in life. maybe this morning you're ready to trust Jesus, to step off the broad path and come to the narrow way. If that's you, man, take communion for the first time, and let's talk about that. If you're not in the place yet where you're ready to trust Jesus and and you're wrestling with where you are, I just encourage you to stay in your seat and pray. The back of that bulletin that we passed out has some prayers on it. There's prayers for doubt and prayers for belief. It will give you some language of how do you talk to God about which road you're on, about about which threshold you've crossed, about, about where you are heading. And just take some time during communion, if you're not a follower of Jesus, and just ask him to speak to you. And let's sit in this space for a couple of, of weeks because what Jesus is offering us here has eternal consequences. The implications of this actually last for forever, so it's worth our time to slow down and sit here. And so we just stop this way by saying, hey, the entrance into the narrow way, as counterintuitive as it is, is actually that the king himself came and died in your place. That is so counterintuitive. You would not invent a religion like that. One of the reasons why I believe it's true is because it's so counterintuitive. You wouldn't invent it. You wouldn't make that up. That God himself comes and dies in your place to make a way for you to be right with him. That he dies for his enemies. That he lays down his life to actually make a way for you to come off of this broad path that is full of all kinds of rejection of him. He doesn't make you pay for that. He absorbs it himself through his broken body and shed blood and welcomes you by faith. That is beautiful even if it's counterintuitive, and it is our hope as followers of Jesus. So, so we take communion to remember that as followers of Jesus, and there's an invitation to those who don't yet know Christ to consider what Christ has done, but, but don't consider lots of different ways. Jesus is saying you've just got two really clear choices. Would you better have with me for a moment? I'll pray for us, and then we'll take communion together and use this time as a chance just to examine, to ask questions, to think about these two options, the gates, the way, the destination, and the crowd, and ask, hey, where am I in that space? And please hear Jesus say, inviting you to enter into that narrow way. He's not pushing you away. He's inviting you to come. So Jesus, we ask for you now to come through your spirit and ways that we can hear your voice. Would you confirm with us what road we're on so we can respond to you Pray for those who do know Jesus, would you strengthen them? And Those who don't know Jesus, would you call them and invite them? And would you speak to us? Thanks for this clarifying word that you're not letting us just get by with appreciating you. You're making us deal with you as king. It's a really loving thing you're doing in this moment. So we say thank you. Help us now. Give us the faith to respond. In Jesus' name. you for joining us online. Leawood Baptist Church exists to glorify God by making disciples of all nations. For more information about us and our ministry, please visit us at www.leewoodbaptist.com.